Hey everyone, so for today's episode, we're going to have a special guest. He's none other than our beloved local entertainer and performer, Mr. Hosen Leong. Now, I met Hosen when I was in quarantine. No, he wasn't in the same room as I was, but I took part in an online trivia night that was organized by the hotel that I was staying in, and he happened to host. And so, before the games actually started, we managed to have a bit of a conversation about one of his recent projects, which is called The Curious Case of a Missing Peranakan Treasure, or Curious Case. Curious Case is a virtual theatre experience about a fictitious Peranakan silver treasure box that goes missing from the world-renowned and also historical Raffles Hotel. The experience is different because viewers can actually have a 360 view of the interior of the hotel as they watch the characters in the play. So I checked it out and it was really fun. It was almost like I was a fly in the wall watching the drama unfold while trying to figure out the mystery by myself. During the play, I was able to choose which rooms I wanted to enter and I was also able to click on certain items of interest and that would trigger a flashback scene for me to understand the backstory and a bit about the history of the Raffles Hotel. In my opinion, it's quite an innovation on stage plays and it's able to bring the gravita and the ambience of theatre right into a viewer's home. I asked Hosen about what it was like making Curious Case. I also asked him a few questions about himself, his future projects, as well as a game show that he currently hosts called We Are Singaporeans. By the way, you can catch that on the online streaming service MeWatch if you so wish. Well, anyway, hope you enjoyed the conversation. And oh, by the way, today is also the debut of the brand new theme song for the But Then How podcast. Without further ado, hit it! Let me just like tell you a bit about the podcast here and like what kind of conversation I try to have so to like kind of set a frame in mind. So I call the podcast, but then how? Because I want to touch on like many different topics. So I didn't want it to be too specific. Then I want people to think about certain issues that they otherwise might, you know, like kind of like dismiss or brush aside. And then I just want to dig like the first layer for the end and like show, show them what it is. And they can go and like think about issues and by themselves. Uh. So uh, I, th- I was very intrigued by when you started to share about the, the Curious Case production. And it was such a novel concept to me. And I, I, re- I really wanted to check it out because it n- number one, it's like, it's part of your portfolio of work. And number two, it's a real innovation in terms of like, how can you try to bridge the gap that COVID-19 has created by bringing theater to the computers? That sounds good. Did you manage to see it? Uh, yes, I actually did. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I checked it out about two days ago and I actually managed to solve the mystery on the, the first <laughs> click. Yes. So I would love to brag about that. Yeah. Gonna brag about <laughs> okay. That. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you share with us like what was the process of creating and then producing the, the show and like what are your thoughts and feelings through the entire process? Okay. Well, thanks for having me on this podcast. It's uh, exciting to share uh, especially new work and new frontiers that we are trying to cross. So what happened was in 2020, in August, late August, I wanted to do something different because 
everyone was pivoting, but the way of pivoting in the arts back then last year was just showcasing past work, you know, like archival footage. Mm. There were a lot of that going on, past shows. There were a lot of Zoom concerts, you know, everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. sing a cappella <laughs> and at all different windows. I mean, I was part of that as well. And then we had uh, Zoom plays that were specially written for the pandemic or during the pandemic. I mean, for me, it started to get very uh, formulaic. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to see how I could or we could break out of this um, and instead of passive watching, which is what is a lot. Of, I mean, you watch Netflix as passive yeah. watching. Yeah. But because this is free, a lot of it online, yeah. I got bored. I clicked away immediately, turned mm. off. So how do you draw the audience in? So I had a little chat with um, now my co-producer, Derek Chu from Sightlines Entertainment about how to use technology, not new technology, 360 degree cameras are not new, yeah. um, but to employ it into our shows. How do we gamify a play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build, That's a great point. Yeah. yeah, build a platform where audiences get the chance to choose. Mm. So it's not passive watching anymore. It's interactive because they get a choice where they want to go in yep, the yep. show. Uh, they get to click on stuff, objects. Of course, in the back end, it's all directed. Lah. You know, you yes, have yes. to click on it. You have to go there. You have to go here. So this the semblance of giving people a choice, people like it. I really liked it too because like you said gamify, right? And to me, mm. it felt like basically a professionally produced game. Yeah, like an actual game that I might buy on say an online platform like Steam. Mm. So it's really a story that's being told like through this, this interactive way. And the 360 cameras are also a very fun thing to do. So as the characters were having the conversation, I, I just kind of like clicked around, move around. And then I was like kind of doing my own, like, you know, over the shoulder shots and things like that. And I was like, um, how can I frame it in a way that's actually, that starts to make sense? And the other thing that's really, really cool was, at least to me, was that because you can kind of like just look around the hotel, uh, even as the characters are having a conversation, right? And I think mm. even when you're on, when you're watching a play, yeah, you know, they, they have the backdrops and the props and everything, but you usually don't get to see it like up close, right? So you don't really bathe in the ambience or the environment. Yeah, not as much as Curious Case did for me as someone who's never stepped into the Raffles Hotel. Uh, so I thought that was quite fun. That's absolutely right. Because, Lindsay, you, you hit the nail on the head. Because when you watch a play, you as the, as the audience choose where you want to watch, right? At the end mm. of the day, who you want to see on the, on the stage or where your eyes go to on the stage. So we have given the audience in Curious Case here to give them the power to be like a fly on the wall. And like you said, a lot of Singaporeans have not gone into the Raffles Hotel. They either are intimidated, which is fair mm. enough because it's expensive or because you know you, you just can't get through the front lobby because <laughs> it's only reserved for residents, right? Or the scary security guards there. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, fair enough. But this show allows all of us to you know, have a little look inside the suite. Have a look at the presidential suite, the yeah. restaurants, the lobby. I felt filming there felt so special. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, the creation of this show, I think it's a brand new genre, I think, because I don't know whether it's done anywhere else in the world. 
but for Singapore, definitely a first. And what's sustainable about this product, this show, is like you can watch it now. I filmed it in January. You can watch it anytime. It's on demand. So, you know, my, my hope is that this catches on and it goes, you know, hopefully global because anyone can watch it anywhere in the world anytime. Yeah, and, and it's great because, number one, I think the writing is kind of timeless, although it is set in a specific time frame. And number two, it heavily features the Raffles Hotel, right? So I think even for people overseas, that is an iconic landmark of Singapore. I mean, it's featured in Crazy Rich Asians now. Like, we are living in this like post-Crazy Rich Asians world, right? Like, like in terms of like, it's like <laughs> this like defining cultural shift for Singapore in the international lens. So yeah, I think people like overseas, they would be interested in just trying to see what the, what, what the inside is like what its heritage is and things like that. Yeah. So uh, mm. maybe you want to, we can talk a bit about the, the story, like uh, no spoilers, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But like, sure. So when I had the idea of a whodunit, you know, set in the Raffles Hotel, of course, my first instinct was to go with a murder. No, oh, yes, yes um, of course. But, you know, when I approached the hotel, of course, they said, no, you can't, <laughs> even if it's fictitious, which is fair enough. I, I see that now. So I said, okay, a theft, a burglary. And I think because a lot of people still are very intrigued or interested in the Peranakan culture, mm. because, you know, what is a Peranakan? Who is a Peranakan? And the Peranakan diaspora has spread across Asia and even into Europe now and Australia. I wanted it to be a Peranakan flavor. So hence, my main character is a Peranakan matriarch. Yeah, Sylvia, yes. Syl Sylvia Liu, yeah. Who comes into the hotel. She comes to the hotel to stay every year. And, you know, when we did research on the raffles, that we have regular guests that come in every year just to stay. One oh. month, two months, three months. One month, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, so for a lot of Europeans come from UK, from Japan, from the States, Australia, from Malaysia, yeah, they, they come and they stay because to them, it's coming home. It's a staycation, <laughs> a vacation, you know? Mm. So with that in mind, we took that little nugget and we, we put it into Sylvia's story. She comes every year. She mm. comes to stay at the Raffles. She, she comes from Penang. And she comes from money, obviously. Yeah. Um, she sees this treasure box that's on display in the lobby and she goes, what is that doing there? That's mine. And she accuses the hotel of, of stealing her box because this box had gone missing 30, 40 years ago when she, she was a young girl staying in the hotel. Mm. So the story unfolds from there. Who are the suspects that were in the lobby prior to the theft or the box gone missing. So we have Charles Ching, the, the hotel historian. Played by yourself. Yes. Played by me. We've got the bellboy, uh, Sammy, played by Duane Lau. Mm. Uh, Sylvia, played by Audrey Luo. We have the, the high society Tai Tai from, is it Perak, right? Yeah, Perak. Uh, Zizi, Baha, right? Some, yeah. Aziza, yeah. So, and then, of course, the front office manager, Lena, as well as the, the guy from Silicon Valley who... Mm wants to set up security cameras for the raffles, but they say no to him. So the suspects, you know, and then there's a lot of flashbacks into the past and you find, you realize the web, the relationships crisscross quite significantly. 
Um, yeah, so basically, that's just a bit that the box goes missing. You, you as the audience, you are tasked to be like a fly on the wall and follow the suspects through the night and see. In the end, you get the choice to choose who you think did the crime. And uh, I think one thing that features quite heavily is the fact that the story actually takes place in two distinct time periods. I'm not sure if that's a spoiler. Yeah. But uh, because no. you have to understand a bit of the character's backstory to I understand their personality and their motives, right? So um, is there a reason why picked maybe 1970 as the time period? And is there a reason uh-huh. why the characters specifically, uh, they all are, I think, canonically about 70? Because in the past, they, it's implied that they are young adults at the time. And then they mm. come back and uh, reunite with, with each other in a flashpoint. So, so what's yeah. with the specific time period? I wanted the 1970s because I think the, back then the 70s were a much freer period, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, I mean, the raffles in the heyday was like everyone would come and I wanted to show the fact that, you know, her, Sylvia's father, Mr. Liu, would come and with her to, to the raffles every year's holiday. It was also a time period where, I mean, even now, parents, you know, dictate who their daughters will marry. Mm, yes. uh, it was a period of time where friendships were formed regardless mm. of who, your status, of who you were. Right. And it was a love story. It was a, just a forbidden love story as well between you know, different hierarchical stratas of society. So if yes, yes. Sylvia comes from money, she falls in love with someone who's just a, a worker in a hotel. Of course, the father would say no, mm. even though it was true love. So that was why I wanted a flashback. Also, I wanted to show the difference between the 360 and the 1970s flashback scenes, yeah. you know, the sound is different. The colors are different. So it's treated differently. So, so we wanted to just show that as well. I mean, it was just for me to play with technology. <laughs> yeah, this, I noticed that as well because the past scenes are actually not uh, that interactive. Uh, they are shot in, I think, a different filter and like different frame rate and things like that. So it, that feels more like a... Like you're watching a movie, yeah. Analog. It was. It felt analog. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, and I think it, that it features a bit more of the the scenes, are like more like outside where where the lighting is a bit more more vibrant. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> so um, let's just talk a bit about the the, the characters a bit. Yeah, cause like I I really love to like do this kind of like character analysis when I when I watch movies and things like that. Okay. So I have like some uh, very short notes, quick notes about each character, right? I'm going to read them to you okay. and you tell me whether you agree or disagree. Okay. So, okay. Sylvia, number one. Okay. Big hair, big ego. <laughs> well, they don't normally, I mean, don't necessarily go hand in hand, but, but you know, you've seen Tai Tai's, right? They do have really big hair. So maybe, but I don't know whether it goes with the ego. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so number two, uh, Aziza, aka Zizi, okay? She's hiding a lot of secrets. Yes, she is hiding a lot of secrets. Actually, her backstory was very interesting because, um, I mean, without any, without spoiling, from, to go from one strata of society to another, you know, like I say, you sometimes you can take the boy out of Senkang, but you can't take Senkang out of the boy. <laughs> that kind of story. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I said Senkang. <laughs> yeah, you so should, you should. She has she has the biggest kind of change in terms of like her appearance and personality. Like when she first appears in her mature state, she has a lot of gravita. 
and things like that. But when you, mm. but she does have a more humble origins. Uh, so I thought that was a fun part yeah. of the character. That's why I chose, I cast, uh, I casted Siti Khalija because she's such an amazing actor, right? You can mm. see her change from when she plays a young girl to when she plays a 50-year-old, a 70-year-old. So it's amazing. Yeah, okay. okay. So next, you have Sammy the Bellhop. Uh, he's a fish out of water. Because I say this because he is the only character that speaks in I would just say regular everyday English. Yeah. So yeah. he feels almost out of place. Yeah. I took his character from all the bell front office people that I meet at the raffles because they're really, I mean, all of us are just human beings, but you know, you you are taught us to behave a certain way when you work at Raffles mm. Hotel Singapore because that's the brand. But once you go beyond, you know, the brand, you get the real person. And I wanted Sammy to be that real person, not just a certainly Mr. Mr. So-and-so, certainly Mr. You know, mm. that's the hotel. But who is the real person behind that mask? Yeah, I think Sammy successfully does demonstrate the professionalism, but also um, he's quite sincere and I think he doesn't try to like hide who he is. Yes. Okay. Uh, Lena, the front office, right? Mm-hmm. My note here is, uh, she sounds like she's trying to seduce everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, I think she she's probably a, a representation of like how the Revels Hotel staff are really, really professional. They give a very personal... Mm level of service they ensure that their guests needs are completely attended to and things like that and they try to extend a level of comfort and empathy to the guests right yes and also if you notice when she talks to her ex-husband on the phone she changes yes when she talks to sammy you know in the corridors she talks completely different already so there you go i wanted to show that there are real people you know, but we had to adhere to, of course, to Raffles' brand when we, when we portray them public-facing. So mm. they always have a certain manner, a certain way of speaking. Yes. Oh, yeah. Let me just bring in this question. So the, the uniforms of the staff, right? Are they the actual uniforms that are being used? And like in also the ones portrayed in the past, the 1970s, they have this kind of like orangey uh, outfit uh, for the, the working staff, yes. The modern day look for uniforms are from Raffles Hotel Singapore. Yes. The the flashback scenes were costumes that my, my costume designer designed or thought up based on what they were before. I mean, you cannot find them anymore. <laughs> yeah. But but the hotel signed off on it, right? They said like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was based on their drawings and photos. Right. Okay. Okay. So next, Raj. So <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about him. But uh, he has a lot of hard copy documents in his room for someone who comes from and works in Silicon Valley. <laughs> uh, yeah, props. <laughs> no, I mean, he was, he was there to, to show the hotel what he could do, right? How he could redo the security systems. So, yeah. yeah. I think he, he's the only kind of person that's portrayed as a threat, right, to the hotel. Yeah, it's like an outsider. Yeah, because it's a... It's a who done it. So we needed to have um, you know, everyone had had to a motive. Everyone had to look suspicious. Yes. Okay. And finally, we come to Charles Ching, uh, your character, who literally loves to dig up the past. 
<laughs> yeah. So we based Charles Ching on the real Raffles Hotel historian. You know, they do have a resident historian called no. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Leslie Danker. Mr. Leslie Danker is now 80 over years old. He has been working with Raffles since the 70s. So Gene Tame, the writer, and I sat down with uh, Mr. Danker a couple of times to just listen to his stories because he's got so many stories, read his book. So a lot of the factual heritage history points in the show are real. So all the things that you see or you hear in the show that refer to the history of Raffles Hotel are real, are factual. And so I have Leslie Danker to thank for that. Well, yeah, it really felt like, it almost felt like I was when the, in a flashback scene where the elder hotel manager is uh, talking about the past, like it felt like I was watching an, an, an exhibit at a museum. <laughs> like, like this indeed happened and hence, uh, you know, Raffles Hotel places a certain, you know, importance to even the small things within its possession. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. I noticed you put on like an old man voice for Charles Ching. Yeah, I mean, he's 70, right? So, <laughs> um, and Charles Ching, I played his character. His accent is quite Peranakan. So, mm, yes. that, yeah, the kind of, of English that Peranakan's the way this accent sounds, that was what I used for, for Charles Ching. Yeah, I think accents are one way in, you know, that, that kind of tell who you are in Singapore. Like mm-hmm. there is, you know, your received pronunciation accent and then you have your um, Singaporean Chinese accent, which is slightly different from a Singapore Malay accent or a Singapore Indian accent. And within, within that, there's like all these subgroups. So I felt like when I was watching, I, I listened out for like the way the people were speaking. Everyone's speaking English, but it's those small inflections that kind of give away, you know, who, who they really are. And, and Yeah, that was, that's a really good observation because within that show alone, you see the whole, like the whole strata of society, right? You see the high, the high class, high status people, high cess as they call them nowadays, <laughs> you know, all the way down. And then I would, down is not a good word, but, you know what I'm saying? All the different yeah. levels and stratas of society in that one show. Yeah, from all walks of life. So I was very glad that this show was... Uh, and, and I had people watch it from London and UK and they said it's quintessentially Singapore. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a really good way to put it. And yeah, I really encourage all the listeners to go and check out your show. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So when Thank people you. open the file, they'll, yeah, they will be able to access it. Yeah, so I wanted to ask a bit about your history and how you grew up, basically uh, evolved through the entertainment business. Yes, because the first time I remember seeing you on television was, I think, even on a game show sometime in the late or a variety show in the late 90s on Channel 5. I don't remember what show it was because I was only like five or six years old. <laughs> but it was the uh, the Pyramid Game. The Pyramid Game. Era. Yeah. It was the Pyramid Game, yeah. You're absolutely right. So what, what was the experience like and <laughs> how is it compared to what you're doing now? I first started in 1993 mm. on stage as a theatre actor. And, and then that was, I mean, that will always remain my first love. Um, then sometime in 1995, 1995, I think, I was approached by the producers of Under One Roof. Hmm. 
to play Denise's boyfriend or Bernetta Lopez's character's boyfriend. I had never done TV before, so it was my first time. Then in 1997, back then it was called TCS, right? Television Corporation yes, of TCS. Singapore. TCS offered me a contract as a full-time actor to sign on with them. So I did because it was work, right? And back then, they had a lot of sitcoms and developing a lot of drama sitcoms like Triple Nine, Growing Up, etc., etc. Also, the game shows started getting a lot of popularity. So Pyramid Game was one of them and it was so popular. And because a lot of times, if I wasn't in a sitcom, I wasn't working. <laughs> so mm. we were asked to come on as celebrities to play the game. And I'm very happy with that because I'm very competitive that way. So playing in a game show <laughs> was my like, yay! So I, I, yeah, so that became one of my favorite, they call that regular gigs that I got when I was working. So that's how I started. And then it was 1997. So from there to now, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate to have kept working, to have been able to now have my own company, to able to nurture the younger generation, the next generation, to give them opportunities because I was given opportunities. So something like The Curious Case, for example, is something we felt we needed to do as well because it provided work for at least 20 people, you know, actors, yeah. crew, production, you know, the TV people, um, the camera people, technology people. So at the end of the day, I think that will be me going forward from here. I mean, I can't always be in front of the camera or on stage. So taking a little back seat sometimes and, you know, giving people the chance to shine. Mm. Yeah, I'm quite happy doing that. Yeah, I think like for Curious Case, one of the actors that's very heavily featured is uh, Dwayne Lau, who is, is given quite a bit of screen time and then he also gets to perform the theme song, not theme song or the most important song, uh, I'll See You Again, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah. so the, the, the theme song was written by me and Julian wrote the music. So we shot music video and so he and Audrey got to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like watching probably an episode of like we are singaporeans on youtube maybe like a couple of weeks ago like even mm. before i entered the quarantine and i remember you like casually dropped a line and said like oh your life is a musical <laughs> yeah i mean it's so i love music i grew up you know playing the piano and composing and stuff like that but that was that was a big part of my life but sort of never really translated a lot into what I do. So you see, the thing with me is I do so many things, right? That's mm. how do I hone in on one and do it well? So I'm kind of like jack of all trades, I guess. You know, I can play the piano. You ask me to sing a song. I can do it. I can do tell you jokes. I can do drama. You can do a split. <laughs> I can do a split. So, <laughs> so I, th I guess I'm able to dabble in a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm glad I do that. So it makes, I guess it makes me a more well-rounded entertainer. Mm -hmm. I think people often underestimate the importance of having all, all these like well-rounded skills because if not, you are kind of boxed in in a market that is already quite small. Yeah, and it's also very important to note that in Singapore, we're one of the few places that allow artists to cross into other mediums you know, because in the States, in Australia, wherever, 
let's just say that you are a stage actor. It's hard, you know, to get onto TV or film unless you somehow become famous. And if you're a TV actor, it's hard to go into film or yeah. do stage, vice versa. So because it's just that there's so many people mm. and when you train in drama school, you, they train you in a certain way. So yeah. in Singapore, we've been very, very fortunate. So I've done TV, radio, stage, film, you know, do it digital, a lot of things. Lah. So I think I got I to gotta be thankful that I've had the opportunity to do everything. Would you say that you are kind of like a go-to for people who, you know, they need someone to host or they need someone to, you know, produce uh, like a play or something like that? I wouldn't be the go-to lah, but I would say people do come and ask me. <laughs> because, uh, you know, this this business is not, I think, not, not a business you want to go into if you want to get rich or famous, mm. I don't think. So doing gigs and events like hosting D&Ds or, or for companies, you know, their anniversary dinner or whatever, those events and gigs help me pay my bills. So, you know, I have got to give credit where credit is due because even though I love my art and what I do on stage or TV, it's hard to pay the bills. Yeah, and I think because of it's the ad hoc nature of these things mm-hmm. and even when you are you know trying to uh, embark on your own projects like you know write a musical write a play right even that has a kind of a indefinite lead time so you don't know how many months it's going to take and you, you don't know how many months you can get the venue for how long you can run the rehearsal so i think a lot of artists like yourself take on a a tremendous amount of risk like in business we call it risk <laughs> it's like all these unknowns like this can go wrong here this can go wrong there yeah, yeah. i mean even even now let me move, let's just say we move forward oh, my, my history is boring so <laughs> i mean down the road right yeah. people are interested in what we've done with the curious case but yes. then they say okay what's next for you so hmm. i curious case is 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 is, is housed on a server where you watch and it's all determined by how the experience is determined by your bandwidth your wi-fi your device right at the end of the day and which is out of my control so my product is made really so i had people saying yeah how come i cannot get to the end why hang i'm like i i can't help you because you know because it's maybe on your end i can't say that obviously so moving forward i'm going to build an app where I can house all this on this app where you, maybe you can download app free, but in order to watch Curious Case, you have to do in-app purchases and stuff like that. So it becomes more of a game. It becomes Mm. now, Mm. so my next one is going to be the Curious Case of the Missing Recipes. And it's, yeah, it's going to be a heist in Katong Juche, right? Ah, okay. Another Pranakan influence. Also Pranakan influence, but because I was trying to have this, I want to have this link before I springboard into other places and other venues. Yes. So you know what I'm saying, right? So we have to go to in the direction where the heist is watched on your phone. No more device because everyone's on phone. Yes. And then you click on case, you click on suspects and case files open up. And so then you solve the problem, the mystery. And after you solve the mystery, that's part two. So we want you to now, now that recipes have been found, combine the recipes all together. And these recipes will give you the coordinates for the treasure buried somewhere in Katong Juche. Ah, yeah. 
so inviting people to go into the region, into the precinct mm-hmm. to explore, you see. So that's where I'm going. But now the problem is, where am I going to get the money from? <laughs> All this is money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, funding has always been a problem with the art scene in Singapore. But now that, you know, you, you kind of have your, your toes and your ankles into this uh, more technological side of the entertainment, uh, there might be opportunities, maybe in terms of like some sort of like a venture funder or things like that. Yeah. Do you know anybody? <laughs> uh, no, I know of them, I'm, but maybe they might be interested in trying to do uh, like virtual theater or more interactive uh, entertainment. Who you knows? can analyze maybe. my wrist lines. You tell me whether it's worth it or not. <laughs> I do this podcast to get away from my day job, but okay. <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah, so really looking forward to the curious case of the missing recipes, no matter how long it might take. But yeah, I believe we can get there. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, we've got interested parties. It's just that, you know, because we're dealing with government bodies and, you know, they're dealing with a lot of red tape, which is fair enough. It's, it's public money. So, but we are intending to, you know, once we develop the app, first of all, that's two, yeah. that's, you know, this app, and there's the production, the show itself, to put onto the app, then I can carry on and creating more stories for the app and more adventures. So I think the Curious Case series, as we call it, will grow. We want it to be a series, yeah. I want to talk to you a bit about We Are Singaporeans, so which is a game show about Singapore trivia that you are hosting. Yeah. So and what well, yeah. yeah, well, you ask me about it? <laughs> so like, um, like who came up with this idea of Singapore Trivia Game Show, and how do you end up hosting it like, for so many seasons in a row? Well, I it was uh this idea was uh, actually came up by by MediaCorp, a producer at MediaCorp. I think back in the when was this? Uh, when did it start? It was twenty. I can't remember when. Um. Anyway, the first season, <laughs> I think it was a time where I think Singaporeans were feeling a bit unconnected. I think that was why MediaCorp wanted to do something like that, or rather MDA or whoever asked them to come up with the show. It was to people, were, the younger generation were forgetting where we came from and the history and stuff like that. So anyway, they asked me to go and audition as a host. And I know auditions, lah, so especially with MediaCorp, because more often than not, they already have someone in mind. Yep. And you are just there to like be the three quotes, you know, the usual. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I got a copy of the, the script and the gameplay and I was thinking like, you know what, I'm not going to sweat it. I'm just going to go in there yeah. and have fun. So they made me like, or pretend that I was there interviewing Zoe Tay, like, oh, we'll play the game. All right, we're going to go to round two. And then, and I just had fun, you know? And then they said, oh, what about when you want to ask someone to lock, lock it in, lock in the answer, you know? So I just went, asked them to double confirm the answer, law. You confirm? Uh, yeah, double confirm? I and- wanted to ask you, was, is that like, where did the the brand double confirm come from? Yeah, you know it's from there. So in every episode, I would keep saying double confirm to my contestants to make them lock it in, right? Yes. I, I mean, you use it already. You know what I'm saying? It's already yes. in our vernacular. It's just that to hear it on TV week after week, 
it became part of our Singlish, uh, you know, lexicon, I think. Yeah, it's, I really like how it brings together, um, like, Singaporeans from, like, all walks of life. I, like, one thing that's done very, a bit differently is that you kind of let the participants, like, tell the audience, like, where they're from, what they do. When that was not so clear in, like, I think, like, a lot of other game shows. So there's a lot, oh, really? of, a lot of, a bit of, like, personal, co- more personal connection. Like, they feel more right. real. And, right. yeah, because... I feel that they come. They seem to come from different walks of life, and and it's very interesting to see like how these people they have a surprising amount of knowledge about Singapore. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, you more than me, actually. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I wanted to know if like like you already had a lot of not knowledge about Singapore, or like do you know the facts going into the episode, or do you have to study it? Oh no, not at all. I I don't want to know. I told the writers, don't give me the questions because I think for me as a host, it, it keeps me fresh, right? Mm. So when the answer comes out, it's unexpected. All my, my reactions, the, the celebrities' reactions are all real. You know, we're like, oh, what? You know, or, oh, I knew that. You know? So I think, I think not knowing the, the questions beforehand helps. Yeah, especially when it comes to a lot of like, weird minor details. Um, I like round two of each episode where they have a question they put out a question about uh, some historic like maybe a monument uh, monument or building in Singapore right and then the celebrities have to tell three different stories <laughs> and you have to guess which one is real <laughs> yeah that's funny because that really tests the, the celebrities you know lying capabilities <laughs> yeah they always like to do the the fake out like i'm sorry to tell you that you're correct yeah yeah <laughs> I also enjoyed round one because I'm someone who loves statistics and round one is about answers based on a poll that was conducted and like what would Singaporeans choose right and I find it very fascinating because you don't really know like what the answer is there's no way to tell right no because it's based on a survey right so Mm. it's not a right or wrong answer yeah no I mean this show this game show to me has been a, a, a dream come true because you know growing up I watched a lot of game shows on TV Wheel of Fortune um, whatever else that was on TV but hosting one was like wow <laughs> I never got <laughs> never imagined I'd get to host my own game show so that's something I was very happy with do you know if they're coming out with a new season are you allowed to say I don't know you know actually no you're I was actually I'm thinking about it Two days ago, I said, hey, I didn't get the call, eh? And then, you know, <laughs> season six, I don't know. Uh, should call, like, NHB and, like, the other ministries. It's like, hey, you know, there's a really strong demand for this. It's up to MediaCorp at the end of the day. Yeah, okay. I think that's all for today. So, really, thank you so much for coming on. No uh, worries. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Like, well, I can really feel, like, your, your energy and excitement when it comes to... <laughs> talking about your projects and and these these shows yeah yeah no thanks for giving me the opportunity so yeah i mean it's like i said nowadays it's we all are trying to survive you know for those of us who are in the freelance industry so i think being creative but also having the opportunities given to us you know we can have ideas but if people don't support it with funding or with whatever you know support that given from behind we we wouldn't be able to make it so thank you as well for giving me the chance to talk about it. Okay, thanks, Clinton. Um, I hope to see you in person somewhere soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.
And that was the conversation. If you enjoyed listening to that, you'll definitely enjoy trying out the curious case of the missing Peranakan treasure on your own. Or, you know, do it with a friend or family member. The link to that is in the show notes, so do check it out. Also, don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a friend working in the arts, or who you know enjoys theatre, share this episode with them too. Look forward to more interesting episodes of But Then How. See you guys in the next one.